Well, last week, like I said, we started a series called I Am, Your Journey Towards Hope, where we started taking a look at just the mental health challenges, honestly, that we all have. And we discovered that there are three reasons why we need to take this on. There is a biblical reason, a historical reason, and there is a practical reason. And there are five things that we seek to accomplish as a church. One is that the church will will lead in this area. That we will be a major player with government and health professionals and other NGOs. That we will remove the stigma of mental challenges. That we will educate and equip our church to care for those who are afflicted and affected that struggle with mental challenges. Our desire is that we would become a triage center for other non-faith-based or other faith-based organizations. In fact, if you are a health professional, if you work in the mental health area, I'm going to be having a meeting. I think it's tomorrow at three o'clock, and we're going to just begin to discuss this on how we can just kind of lay this thing out in such a way that we see God using us in the community. And then the last one is that we would stand up and that we would support those because there's nothing wrong with it. Now, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to jump online and get the whole message. I made a statement that, uh, that I want to say again, and it's this. We don't need simplistic answers to this issue. Answers like, well, all you need to do is take a pill. All you need to do is read your Bible more. All you need to do is pray more. All you need to do is just go to more counseling. The reality is we need all of those things. This is a complex issue. It has, it has a biological aspect. It has an emotional and mental aspect. It has relational and social aspects. And it has spiritual aspects. What we don't want are simplistic answers. But we can give simple answers that are understandable so our hope quotient can rise. The year 2018 is the year of hope. And we're taking a look right now at personal renewal. And we have discussed that there are three types of hope mentioned in the Bible. Wishful hope, expectant hope, and certain hope. And certain hope is the best hope because certain hope is when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God as we fall on the character of God. In the previous series, we took a look at, the, at prayer because Jesus said in Luke 18.1, pray and never lose hope. In this series, the emphasis is going to be on the word of God, Okay? Because certain hope starts when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, getting our minds renewed. Take a look at Psalms 119 verse 14. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Will you circle two words, word and hope, draw a line between those two. Word and hope go together. We have to have our minds renewed through the word of God. As that happens, our hope quotient will rise. But notice in this verse that it's in the context of a battle, a refuge, and my shield. You may not realize this, but there is an invisible battle 
going on around you and inside of you to rob you of hope. It is a 24-7 battle. And the ground is your mind. It is a battle for good and it is a battle for evil. It is an intense battle. So I want you to write this down. Whatever gets your attention gets you. Folks, it's not an accident that, that auto manufacturers have airbags that protect the upper part of your body, primarily your head. They don't protect your knees and they don't protect your elbows, but they do protect your head. Why? Because whatever gets your brain, guess what? Gets you. So it is important as we start this series that you know how to protect, to use, to expand and develop your mind. Whatever is in your mind will determine your hope quotient. Now this battle that I've already mentioned, for your mind, you already know about it. You know the conflict that goes on in your mind. And it makes sense if you understand the science behind it. In any given day, the average person will have 50,000 thoughts go through their mind. From those 50,000 thoughts, they will make 35,000 decisions. In a person's lifetime, they will make 7 to 11 critical decisions that in essence will determine the outcome of their life on this side of eternity. Things like the school that they're going to go to, the job that they're going to take, the person that they're going to marry. And then there is one eternal decision. And with all those thoughts going through our minds, oftentimes there is conflict and there is a battle. And we know of it. Paul spoke about it. In first, or 2 Corinthians 10, it says this, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretensions that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Will you circle the word strongholds? What is a stronghold? Folks, it's any false idea that dominates your life. It can be a mental framework of reference. Okay? You, you know what? I know people out there that are a lot more productive than I am, so I must be useless. You know, I know there's people in my relational world that are just better looking than I am, so that must be why I don't fit in. There's people that make a whole lot more money out there than I do, and so that must be the reason why I'm not significant. Folks, there's all kinds of strongholds in our mind. It can be your worldview, it could be worry, it could be guilt, it could be resentment. All of those and more can be strongholds in your mind. And God says he wants you and I to tear down those false ideas. What I want to do today is I want to focus in, in that paragraph, one phrase. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That phrase, we take captive, is one word in the Greek. It means to conquer, to, to, to force into submission, to bring under 
control. We need to bring our thoughts under our control so that we're not just all over the place. How do you do that? How do you make your mind mind? I don't know about you, but my mind doesn't mind itself very often, okay? I have a rebellious mind. It has a mind of its own, and it goes all over the place. And my guess is this, so does yours. You see, the reality is you don't control your thoughts as much as you follow your thoughts, And they are all over the place. I would say you and I have spiritual ADD. So how do we bring our thoughts under control so that we can move towards a more healthy life? How do you make your mind work for you as opposed to against you? Five things. Five things from God's word. Two of them are negative and then three of them are positive. The first one is this. Don't believe everything you think. Folks, not everything you think is true. Now, we sit here and we know that intuitively, okay? But we really don't. Because we believe that whatever we think, it's absolutely true. If you think you are a certain way, then you are going to believe that you are a certain way. If you believe that you are a nobody, then guess what? You are going to act as if you're a nobody. The same is true with our feelings, okay? If you feel a certain way, you believe (laughs) that you are a certain way. If you feel that you are a nobody, then guess what? You are going to act like you are a nobody. But here is the deal. What you think is not always true just because you think it. Now, I don't want to shock you, but everyone in this room has a mental issue. And the root of it is called sin. When we sinned against God, when we rebelled against God, everything broke. Our world broke. The economy's broken. The weather is broken. Anyone want to give a story about that right now? Your body is broken. Your mind is broken. Nobody has a perfect mind. You don't have a perfect mind. Your parents don't have a perfect mind. Your friends don't have a perfect mind. And we all know that our spouses don't have perfect minds, right? Nobody's got a perfect mind. Every mind is broken. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, you know what? I hate to shock you, but my mind's broken. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor, tell them that. Your, my mind is broken, okay? Cheryl, I want you to know my mind is broken, okay? And she could stand up and give a lot of testimonies about that. I mention this because the Bible is just chock full of things in regard to the mind. It talks about a darkened mind out of Ephesians chapter 4, a depraved mind out of Romans chapter 1, a corrupt mind out of 1 Timothy 6, a broken mind out of James 4, a discouraged mind. Why is this? Because, folks, that's what happens in an imperfect world. Nobody thinks clearly all the time. There are a lot of things that go into our mind that are just not true, that are false, 
that are lies. And listen, they don't have to come from Satan either. You see, when God gives you an idea, it's called inspiration. When the devil gives you an idea, it's called temptation. When you give yourself an idea, it's called stupidity, okay? The truth of the matter is Satan doesn't have to give you any bad or false information. We get it naturally from the world that we live in. We, we get it from TV, from the commercials that we watch. You know what? If I just made a little bit more money, I'd be more significant. If I looked a little bit better, I'd fit in. I'd be happy. I'd be, more, I'd be more loved. I'd be more successful. Folks, those are all lies. None of them are true. But if you believe them and they are in your mind, then guess what that's called? That's called a stronghold. Now, they don't have to come from the world either. Folks, a lot of them come from ourselves. As I like to say, we are our worst enemies. Take a look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah says here, you know what? I can't figure out my own motives, let alone yours. I mean, hey, Pastor George, why did that person do that? <laughs> How in the world do I know, okay? I'm not them, and secondly, I don't even understand my own. I can't figure them out, so how am I going to figure out even myself? Take a, will you circle the word deceitful? What does that mean? It means that you lie to yourself. And guess what? We do it all the time. We tell ourselves, hey, everything is great, when in reality it's not. We tell ourselves, you know, it's really, really bad. It's never been worse. The reality is, it has been. We lie to ourselves all the time. I really didn't eat that much. I just saw you eat half a cow. What do you mean you didn't eat that much, okay? We lie to ourselves all the time. Why? Because the Bible says that our hearts are deceitful. So what I am saying is this. You can't be trusted to tell yourself the truth about you all the time. Because you and I don't. Just because you get an idea in your head doesn't mean that it's true. Just because you feel a certain way about yourself doesn't mean that it's true. What you and I need to do is that we need to learn to test our ideas. We need to learn to test our feelings. You see, the reality is this. We all have blind spots, don't we? We all have background bias. We see things as we want to see them. If you study the eye, you would learn that, that the optic nerve goes directly into the brain. And you would think that as you are looking at something, that all the electrical impulses are going one way, from your eye in to your brain. But it doesn't. Actually, in the process of seeing, there are more electrical impulses coming from your brain to your eye than from your eye to your brain, which means this, your brain is telling you what to see. 
And you and I don't always see things as they really are. You see things as your brain wants you to see them. Now, do you think brain chemistry would make a difference in that? Absolutely. Along with your connectedness and circumstances and consciousness and your choices. All of those things, and we'll look at those next week from a biblical standpoint. And so what happens is that we jump to conclusions and we put ourselves in boxes and we miss the big picture. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we are to test ourselves, that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. And so you're going to have to test your thoughts, your feelings, the ideas that you have if you're going to move towards health. You're going to have to examine those old tapes that you have been playing in your mind over and over and over again to make sure they're not giving you any faulty information. The second negative is this. The Bible teaches that we need to guard our minds against garbage. Just as computer programmers say, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. What you put into the computer is what comes out of the computer. Oftentimes I call Pastor Dennis, who's the head of administration that's responsible for you know, computers, softwares, and all that. Pastor Dennis, this thing isn't working right. And he comes into the office and he says, George, it's, compu- it's operator error. Well, the same is true with your mind. G-I-G-O. What you put in your mind will determine your stress, your success, your stability. Folks, it will determine the peace that you have in your mind and in your heart, which is directly related to hope. Romans 12, verse, or Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope Fill you with peace so that you, so that you may uh, be overflowing with hope. Peace and hope go together, but it's determined by our minds. What you and I put in our minds is absolutely critical. Take a look at Proverbs 15, verse 14. A wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. Now, some of us need to put that on our TVs, okay? Those big, and not just a little one. You got those big 75 inchers. You need a big sign on that thing, okay? This verse right here. Now, if you go to any nutritionist, they will basically tell you that there are three large categories of food. There is brain food that makes you smarter, that's healthy, that's good for you. There is junk food that is just empty calories that really doesn't do anything for you. And then there is toxic food, okay, which is, it's poisonous, it hurts you. Now, this is not only true for the gut, but folks, it's also true for your mind. There are three kinds of brain food that you can fill your mind with. One, you can fill your mind with brain food, okay? Things that are true, things that are good, things that are encouraging, things that improve your health, things that build you up. Or you can fill your mind with junk food. And there's a lot of it out there, isn't there? I mean, you just turn on the TV. 
You just listen to the radio. And it's not like what you're seeing on TV is evil, wicked, bad. No, no it's, it's just, there's just no calories in it. And we all understand, do we not? What happens when you and I physically eat junk food before the dinner? You don't have any room for the good stuff, right? I learned this from, uh, I learned this a number of years ago when my mother-in-law and father-in-law were living next door to us, okay? Bad idea. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. Anyway, they would come over for dinner, I don't know, three or four times during the week. And, and, and we discovered that Margaret would never eat anything for dinner until my grandson, or their grandsons, my boys, discovered that Margaret was eating a plate of cookies about an hour before dinner every day. She didn't have any room for the good stuff. Now, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Because you're smarter than I am. If you and I do not have an appetite for the good things, for the brain food, it only means that we're giving ourselves to too much junk food. If I don't have time to learn about blended families, and there's lots of them in here, could it be that I am just filling my life up with junk food and I have no appetite for the good stuff? And then, of course, there's toxic food. This is the anti-godly stuff. Take a look at Psalms 101, verse 3. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Now, you and I set things before our eyes all the time that are worthless, worthless. But the goal is that we do it less and less and less so that we can become healthier and healthier and healthier. The question is, how do you and I guard our minds with so much visual stimulation going on, which, by the way, fights against concentration. You can read the articles that I've read from Harvard about this. How do you and I guard our minds from so much mental stimulation that creates all kinds of pictures in our minds? Well, there are two ways. The, the one way is by conversational prayer. Just talking to God throughout your day. And then the other way is through concentrated focus. Take a look at Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 8. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, we just did a whole series on this. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. And with peace comes hope, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Will you circle the word guard? Paul says if you want to guard your heart and your mind and to have peace and with peace, hope, then he says that you got to pray about everything. Now, how in the world do you and I do that? Well, let me tell you one way that you don't, with your eyes closed. I mean, if you close your eyes while you pray all the time and you're driving a car, it will not be pretty. You understand what I'm talking about? What he's talking about here is just conversational prayer throughout the day. 
I woke up this morning, and, and, and Alexa told me, it's 38 degrees out there. And I started talking to God about that. God, why did I choose to wear T-shirts in this cold? Two Sundays in a row, this is crazy, God. And I just, I just talk with him. That's what Paul's talking about here. And then he says, fix your thoughts on stuff that is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Those two things, those two tools are God has given you to get, get bad ideas out of your head. You pray conversationally with God throughout your day. And then you focus. You focus on the good. Meaning you don't resist the bad. Because what you resist persists. I was at the mall a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Stonebriar Mall up here, I call it the Frisco Mall. And as you're walking in, you know, they got this big sail kind of architecture with glass. And there was these poles that hold it up and it said wet paint. I touched it. I wonder if that was put up there last night. It's probably dry now, you know. So when you want to get a bad idea out of your mind, you don't resist it. You replace it. And the result is a peace that passes all understanding. And with that comes hope. Now, those are the negative things. I hated to start out with negative because I'm a personal, practical, and positive. But I had to lay that groundwork to set up the positives, which are these. Number three, never let up on learning. Make learning a lifetime habit. You see, the word disciple means learner. Now, this may shock some of you. God just doesn't want you to say yes to him. Dropping you, him from your head to your heart. He has a whole lot more than that. The Bible has commanded us that we, as a church, make fully functioning followers of Jesus. Make fully functioning followers. Make disciples going out there and, and, and uh, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He want, That word disciple means learner. To be a disciple of Christ, you just can't get saved. Yes, that's the beginning part. But you have to be a continual learner of Christ. Jesus said it like this. I think it's in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, who, all those who are weary emotionally and are heavy laden mentally, and I will give you rest. How? Learn from me. Be a continuous learner. Why? So that you understand the character of God. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. When we are challenged mentally, oftentimes we have a perverted or a distorted view of who God is. We think that he's mad at us that he doesn't love us, that he's looking down at us. Or we may think that he's just being harsh with us. When that it's just the opposite. He is gentle 
and humble of heart. And in about five weeks, we're going to take a look at the character of God. Because the Bible says, I think it's Psalms 54, in your name I will hope. And the names of God reflect the character of God. And the more you and I can understand the character of God, the more our hope quotient is going to rise. But you and I have to be learners. We have to be disciples. You see, a lot of people act as if their education is over when they graduate. I don't know, from high school or college. I mean, some of you haven't cracked a book in, I don't know, 20 plus years, right? I'm glad my education's done. I'm never going to open another book as long as I live. No, 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 no. You got to keep learning. If you want to have a healthier life, you got to be a learner. And so I would suggest this, that you make a list of questions so that anytime you're around a person, you can ask them your questions. Questions like, what have been your surprises in life? What have been your successes? What have been your failures? How have you handled those? What did you do during that time of darkness as you failed to keep your self-image and self-concept at a healthy place? You see, you make up your own list of questions and you learn from other people. Folks, I've learned from people, I've learned from taxi drivers in Vietnam. I have learned from taxi drivers in the Philippines, in South Africa. I'm getting ready to go to Cameroon. I'm going to learn from people that are there. How? Just by asking questions. In fact, the Bible says asking questions is a sign of intelligence. And if you studied the Gospels, Jesus' life in particular, you will find that he asked more questions than he ever answered. Why? Because he was highly intelligent. But he also did that to draw out for us what was inside. Proverbs says, the counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding is able to draw it out. That means that there is a reservoir of knowledge in each person you meet. And the key to getting it out is to be humble enough to listen. And to ask questions. Take a look at Proverbs 18.15. The mind of a smart person is eager to get knowledge. The wise person listens to learn more. Take a look at Proverbs uh, 10.14. And as we're learning more, what do we do? Wise men store up knowledge. Will you circle that phrase, store up? Do you realize this is the only thing in uh, the o- this is the only thing that we are told in the Bible that we are to store up. We're not to store up riches or treasures or possessions or money because we can't take those into eternity future. The Bible tells us to store up knowledge because that's what we get to take into eternity future. We store up knowledge and we turn that knowledge into wisdom and understanding. We turn it into actions, behavior, so that character is built. That's what you and I get to take in to eternity future. So how do you store up knowledge? How do you and I do that? What does the Bible say about doing this? 
how we should do this. Two ways. Reading and relationships. Reading is personal input. And relationships is communal input. And folks, we need both of them. Two times in the book of Proverbs, it says, store up my commands within you. You see, we are to store up knowledge. We're to get it inside of us. How? How do you get that inside of you? As you meditate on God's word. As you memorize God's word. What it does is it helps you stay on the right path. Take a look at Proverbs 19.8. Those who get wisdom do themselves a favor. And those who love learning will succeed. How many of us here want to be more successful in life? How many of us here want to be healthier? I hope all of us do. Honestly. Because the opposite is to fail. (laughs) The opposite is to be sick. And God didn't make you and I to fail. He he made you and I to be overcomers. So how do you learn? You learn through reading. But you also learn by developing relationships. You learn from other people. Because you and I don't know at all. There are things that I know that you don't know. And there are things that you don't know, or that you, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? My brain just went like that. I told you it's broken. But there are things that I don't know that you know. And truly, as we're beginning to pull together these health professionals, and as we pull together, because there's going to be some meetings coming, we're going to talk to parents who have autistic kids. We're going to talk to people who have had brain damage. We are going to learn about this subject matter, because I don't know it all. Fourth, you renew your mind daily with God's word. You see, your mind gets tired. Your mind needs to be re-energized. It needs to be refreshed. It needs to be transformed. If you're going to change anything about your life, folks, it first starts in your mind. It doesn't start with your behavior. It starts in your mind. Take a look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Pastor George, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to know what's gonna, what he has in store for me, I don't know, five, ten years down the road. How can I know God's will for, for my life? By being transformed in the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? Will you write this down? By daily engagement with the word of God. How do you do that? By daily engagement with the word of God. And notice that I didn't say with daily reading from the word of God. Now don't misunderstand me. It's better that you read God's word than not read God's word. But the goal isn't just to read it. The goal is to be engaged with it. To think about it. To meditate on it. To memorize it. To be absorbed in it. Why? Take a look at Isaiah 26, verse 3. 
you will keep in perfect peace. From peace comes hope. All who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Let me ask you this. What is it that you think about the most? Whatever it is, that's your God. And that sets the tone for your life. Some people think about sports. Some people think about their hobbies. Some people think about politics. God forbid that. I mean, mercy alive. And guess what? That's their God. And it sets the tone for their life. I would say this. I would switch from those things to God. And I would do so by starting the, your day out, the first five to ten minutes, reading and thinking about God's word. Because studies have shown that the first five to ten minutes of your day sets the mood for the rest of your day. So don't wake up in the morning and turn on the TV and watch Bad Morning America. Okay? No. Read the good news, okay? So that you wake up in the morning. And I would suggest this, that you sing a song. A song that just brings joy to your heart. I always ask my staff every now and then, said, hey, what are you worried about? What makes you sad? And what songs are you singing right now? Now, I happen to like Frank Sinatra, okay? So I sing Fly Me to the Moon. It's one of my favorites. And if you hear my phone, I just, I love that song, and it just picks me up, okay? So you think about what God has said so that you wake up in the morning and you can say, good morning, Lord, okay? I love you, Lord, instead of good Lord this morning, gee whiz, okay? Number five, let God stretch your imagination. And what I'm talking about here is you allow God to stretch your dreams, your, your vision. God wants to help you reach your dreams and your vision. But if you don't have one, he can't. God can't help you accomplish your goals if you don't have a goal. You've got to get a vision. You've got to get some goals. And my suggestion is that you then stretch it. Take a look at Acts 2, 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Folks, you gotta have a dream. And you gotta let God expand it. If you don't have a dream, you're not living. Honestly, you're just existing. Nothing ever great has been accomplished without a dream. Buildings have, buildings have been erected Paintings have been painted. Songs have been written because a person had a dream. And your life and the quality of your life is going to improve as you allow God to give you a dream. Now, when you are mentally challenged, that dream may be just to get out of bed. I've had people come, Pastor George, just depressed. I didn't get out of bed all weekend. Maybe the goal is to get out of bed. Maybe the goal is to go for a walk, but create a goal. Maybe the goal is I just want, I just want to come to church and start getting involved with other people. Maybe the goal is I just want to read God's word. But you got to have a goal and allow God to stretch it. It may be five minutes and then it may be ten Imagination, I wrote down some time ago, is the preview of tomorrow. 
Learn from the past, live in the present, but dream and imagine about tomorrow. Now, it's not only important that you have a dream for yourself, but in Acts 2, it talks about sons and daughters. Have a dream for others. We're beginning to develop a dream for our community, biblically, in the walls and outside the walls. Have a dream for your kids because it can make a difference. As I was preparing my own heart for this, I ran across an article out of Purpose Magazine about Dr. John Hall, who was severely autistic. And then I looked him up on YouTube, and he had a 12-minute, 12-and-a-half-minute presentation, and so I whittled it down to three. And I'd like you to listen to this. I want you to hear for his mom's dream for him I want you to hear the dream that he had, the dream that he has for his kids. Because of this parent's dream, Dr. John Hall is a CEO of a top four, or Fortune 500 company. Listen to his video. When I, when I was 18 months, I was diagnosed as severely autistic and slightly mentally retarded and I was diagnosed by several doctors with those conditions. My parents were told that it would be impossible for me to live a normal life, that what would be possible is living in a group home and maybe being able to talk a few words if I was lucky. Well, that was an impossible proposition for my mother. And my, mom, my mother fought, she got me into every program there was, and she was my therapist as well. By the time it was time to go in the first grade, I improved a lot. I wasn't making eye contact. My speech wasn't exactly quite right. I didn't know numbers, letters, all that good stuff. But I improved a lot. So my mom wanted to put me in a regular mainstream first grade classroom. Now this was 1981 and that just wasn't done then. And when I look back at it, if she hadn't done that, if she hadn't fought for that, I would not be here talking to you today. Our teacher, Ms. Savage, handed out our readers. And there was this big blue thick reader that a lot of the kids got, a smaller green reader, and this really puny red reader that myself and maybe a few other kids uh, received. And I said, well, Ms. Savage, why can't I have a thicker reader? And she said, you know, it's not possible. You can't read. You know, so you've got you've to start out with a red reader. And it was that day that I realized that I was different, that there was something different about me. There was something, quote, unquote, inferior about me compared to the other kids. And I was gonna turn that around. In my first grade thinking, I was gonna turn that around. I got a lot of help, but by the time I was in third grade, I was reading at a 12th grade level and speaking normally and all that other good stuff. Wasn't making a lot of eye contact, but I was really on my way. But eventually I settled down and um, I, I got married and, and we had two kids. And our son, at 18 months, I could just tell he was autistic. We got him diagnosed. Hearing that diagnosis was, the, besides the days my parents passed, was the, the most horrible, devastating thing that has ever happened to me. My life just went out the window. This child is named after me, and I wanted so much for him. And now he's autistic, and now he's not gonna be able to do anything. 
and now he's going to have to go through everything I went through. And by this time, I was in total denial that I even went through this stuff. I knew what I went through, but it was something else. It wasn't autism. <laughs> and a few, for a few years, it was just in a really dark place. And then my mom passed away, and I really started thinking about my life. And I started accepting my autism, and I started accepting his autism. And you know what? I am autistic, and I'm okay with that. Kids that have special needs that are autistic, they can learn. They can function. We need to give them a chance. We need to understand them. And the impossible is possible. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. And he has a book out, Am I Still Autistic? And he is. As you read his story, he talks about being on the 405 in California, listening to Barry Manilow, one of my favorite songwriters. I made it through the rain, and he listened to, to that one song an hour and a half just to prove, yeah, I'm autistic. Have a dream. And so what I'm challenging us to do in this series can be summarized with the word think or the acrostic think. When I was nine years old and my dad came back from the service as a result of cancer, and he had to retire from the Navy. He worked for IBM. And he gave me a plaque that had the word think on it. Think stands for this. T. Test every thought. Not everything that you think about is true. Not every idea is the right idea. H. Helmet your head. Because what gets your attention will get you. I imagine great thoughts. Get a dream. Get a goal. It may be a little one, but it's one. And allow God to expand it. In. Nourish it with godly food. Brain food. And then K. Keep on learning. Why? For the glory of God and for the good of us. Let's pray. Lord, I really do thank you that you are a God that cares about our whole person. That you care about our relationships that you care about our spirits, you care about our souls, that you care about our bodies, and God, you care about our minds. And we thank you that, God, in your word, there are answers to help us with hope, to increase our hope quotient as we battle in life with unseen forces, thoughts that are going all over the place. And I thank you that as we struggle and as we, we battle, God, that you are for us and not against us. That you, through your spirit, have given us something that is greater than that which is in the world. You have given us your Holy Spirit. And God, may we be those who allow your spirit to illuminate the eyes of our hearts we might see who you really are. 
that we would know that you are a God who is gentle and who is humble. That you are kind and that you are gracious. That you don't burn out a dimly burning wick, but rather you fan it into flame. God, help us. Work in us and work through us. I pray you'd work in us individually and that you'd work through us as a church as we become a community that loves the hurting and the helpless and the hopeless. So God, we lift this up to you. We thank you for who you are. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.